We're going to focus on Genesis 23 today. Uh, we're actually at the end of 22, and we'll explain that here in a minute, but uh, we're going to go in 23. A couple of things, uh, announcements. I had one that I can't remember, but one I can remember. It'll come to me. But if you're uh, uh, interested in um, doing some missions work this summer, we're starting to pray about and think about uh, missions. And uh, uh, we have some folks here who are missionaries, uh, Chaba and Agnes, and they're going to help us out a little bit. And um, a couple places that we're thinking about is Hungary again, to go go hungry at some point, and uh, possibly... now. Don't storm the gates now, but or do storm the gates, right, Agnes, right? Uh, when we say Italy. Uh, but uh, Chab and Agnes have a Calvary Chapel pastor friend there, and um, uh, they're in need of some help to um, do some outreach. And uh, anyway, so we're going we're gonna to meet, if you're interested, or just, you know, come, come here at, right after church, and we're going to talk about that and pray about that. And um, uh, the other thing is, uh, just so you know, we're praying. If you're part of the prayer group and you want to be part of the prayer group, we're going to have a five or ten minute meeting about missions, and then we're going to pray right after church tonight or today instead of uh, this evening. Uh, if you want to look, if you want to know what a spiritual warrior is, uh, she sort of alluded to it, uh, <laughs> but she sounded and is so wonderful and nice. Uh, but there's a spiritual warrior, okay? Uh, they're on the front lines, man, of, of where evil is trying to overtake uh, God's plan and life. So after church, she's got to get going sort of quickly, but she's not too quickly to meet her, pray for her. Uh, maybe we'll even have her come up after and we'll pray together. Uh, so uh, we're just thankful for there's people... Uh, like her and her staff and others around the county uh, that live and work in that area, in that battle. So please pray for them, and uh, we're thankful that uh, Mary was able to come uh, this morning, right? So give a clap to the Lord for her work. Yes. And then turn with me over to uh, Genesis 23. <laughs> And I'm laughing because uh, I'll just give you a little clue into the life of a pastor. Uh, here's what we do here is we just go to the next chapter. Praise the Lord for my sake. I'm being selfish right here, but I also think it's the way in which a church gets healthy. Is they just go verse by verse, chapter by chapter, but praise the Lord in my life. That's how we do it because I never have to think or come up with what I'm going to teach on next. I just simply say the next chapter. But this one is challenging, uh, especially challenging. Uh, preaching this one to new believers, uh, older believers, or mature believers, uh, or maybe people who've not surrendered their life to Jesus Christ, at first glance, you're like, hmm, Lord, I'm not sure how I'm going to do this. And yet, uh, as we explain through this, if we dig here in Genesis chapter 3, you're digging for gold. Here's what you can experience and talk about here. Uh, it's the cry of the of people's hearts. Anybody here uh, interested in hope? Yes. And uh, oh, by the way, the whole world is looking for hope and peace. That's here. Anybody here, uh, well, <laughs> I shouldn't say it this way, but what's the central issue uh, of Christianity? It's the cross and salvation. And in this chapter, you're going to see that there's a path for each person in life. Actually, there's two paths. There's one called hell and there's one called heaven. And you're going to encounter that here today. But... There's other another thing here that uh, you're going to see, especially, and that's this. How does a Christian live and act and be and grieve in the uh, time when we lose a loved one? Now, raise your hand if you've lost a loved one. I'm raising my two hands. And i got news for you, unless the Lord comes back first... 
There's a couple of things in your life that you're going to do. I hate to be morbid. But one of them is, unless the Lord comes back first, is 100% of all of us die physically. And yet, and in fact, in 1 Corinthians 15, death is called the enemy of man. And yet, for the Christian, death is just the doorway to forever. Paul said, you know, I really want to be here. But if I go to heaven, Paul said, it's better. And we can't imagine. We can read about it, we can think about it, and we should read about it and think about it and pray about it. But it's beyond anything that we could ever ask for, hope, or think. Death. In fact, if you have been with us for some time... uh, Abraham and uh, Sarah have been on this journey where they're growing in their faith. And we've said, the just shall live by faith. That's what it says in the Old Testament and uh, a couple times in the New Testament. The just, those who have been justified. And if you were here last week, that's the beauty of this crescendo of the life of Abraham and Sarah with God, is that they would take their son Isaac up to Mount Moriah, And God asked them to sacrifice their son. Of course, he didn't do it and didn't go through it. But they've been living like this and growing in faith. And we talked about that. And over the last couple chapters, let's think about it. Abraham and Sarah came to a crisis of faith. And in a sense, he didn't die physically. But Abraham suffered a loss when he had to put out his son Ishmael. That was two chapters ago. And last week, we saw, just as I described, God had called Abraham to sacrifice his son. Here, in this chapter, we're going to see that Sarah dies and how Abraham reacts. Two more chapters from now, we're going to see Abraham die. And so this portion of Scripture, the just shall live by faith, the Bible tells us, includes what do we do when we lose somebody we love? By the way, that was a terrible way of saying it. For the Christian, for those who are found in Christ, they're never lost. In fact, we know exactly where they are. So to say, for those who are in Christ, I'm sorry you lost that person, that's really not a good saying, and I just said it. We know exactly where they are. Amen. So we're going to look at that. It's almost Job-like for Abraham and Sarah right here. And some of you and some of us have gone through these things. Amen? And are going to go through these things and will go through these things. So that's what we're going to take a look at. Today And we ended up last time, we had gone through the uh, march up to Mount Moriah where God provided himself a sacrifice. Praise the Lord for that verse. God provides himself a sacrifice. And it's that foreshadowing, uh, it's that spiritual reality of the substitutionary sacrifice pointing to Jesus that someone else is going to come and take the penalty that you deserve and I deserve. Amen? Amen. We saw that last week. But I didn't go over this, and I want to do that right at the end. It says, um, so Abraham returned, verse 19, to his young men, the people that he told to wait there, and he and Isaac would be back. And they rose and went together to Beersheba, and Abram, or Abraham, dwelt at Beersheba. Now, this is the part I didn't go over. And at first glance, I'm like, do I even go over this? And then I look, and I'm like, shame on me. Now, it came to pass, after these things that it was told Abraham, saying, Indeed, Milcah also has borne children to your brother Nahor. Huz, his firstborn, and Buzz, his brother. Come on, man, seriously. Those poor kids. 
But anyway, that's what their names were, different names than now. Who am I to talk? I got some weird names in my family, but whatever. Huz, his firstborn, Buzz, his brother, Kemuel, the father of Aram, Chesed, Hazo, Pildash, Jidlapa, Bethuel, and Bethuel begot Rebekah. And there's the point. This little section of scripture here is does a lot of things, but one of the things it does is it bridges the patriarchal story between Abraham and Sarah over to Isaac and Rebecca. Rebecca is going to be Isaac's wife. And then you're going to see Abraham, Isaac, and finally Jacob. This is sort of the bridge that takes us from one story or a lifetime of stories of one patriarch to another patriarch to another patriarch. And there's Rebecca, the wife of Isaac. And these eight Milka bore to Nahor, Abraham's brother. Now watch. His concubine, whose name was Rumah, also bore Teba, Gaham, Thahash, and Makkah. Now, I just want you to do something with me. Turn to Genesis 11 real quick. I want you to see that these folks or this family was mentioned before and is very important. And the Bible is cumulative. I'm so stoked and excited to be going through Genesis because it's the building block. It's the foundations of everything we read for the rest of the Bible, all the rest of 65 books. Watch this. Maybe you forgot this. This is the genealogy of Terah. You're like, oh, okay, genealogy. Who wants to know that? uh, Terah begot Abram. Terah is Abram's dad. And Abram had a brother named Nahor, and he also had a brother named Haran. And Haran begot Lot. Sound familiar? And Lot was the nephew of Abram. But Haran, Lot's dad, died before his father Terah in his late native land in Ur of the Chaldeans. Which means, if Terah died, or excuse me, if uh, Haran died, there was Abram and Nahor left. Everybody with me? There was three, now there's two. And uh, Abram and Nahor took wives, and the name of Abram's wife was Sarah, and the name of Nahor's wife, Milcah. There she is. Get it? And uh, she was the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah, uh, and the father of Ishka. But Sarah was barren, and she had no child. And right then, the story takes off, and we learn how God promises a child to Sarah and Abram in their old age, And Isaac is the result. His name means laughter. He's the son of promise. But in the middle of that, Sarah was getting impatient. Abram was getting impatient. Sarah said, take my maidservant Hagar and go have a baby with her. And that baby was Ishmael. And we've gone over that story. Although Abram loved and respected Ishmael as his son, God asked him to send him off. And Ishmael is a picture of what happens when we rely upon the flesh. And the Lord says to put to death the fleshly living and live according to the promises by the Spirit. Amen? And that's what we traced through Abraham, Sarah, and Isaac, which means laughter. Now, when you come back, it's fascinating here. Abraham said, indeed, Milcah has borne children to your brother Nahor. And then it proceeds to give us eight, I believe, by the wife and four by the concubine, 12 children. You're looking at me like, so what? Well, I think that's in there to stress the fact that one of these is going to be important, Isaac and Rebecca, and then Jacob and his wives, Rachel and Leah. And Jacob is going to have how many sons? Oh, I can't count. How many sons? Twelve. And they're going to be the people of Israel. 
And they're going to be the rest of the story. You're going to trace their story through the rest of the Bible. So when you first look at this, you go, wow, okay, Lord, why are you putting this in there? But it's packed full of information that you read and understand, and it develops your faith in God. Here's why. Because Scripture is true and right, and it's interrelated, and it's everywhere, and it's perfect. I love it. Don't you love it? Okay, so here, we're walking over the bridge. We're now going over the bridge between one patriarch and another patriarch, and watch. So that means their lives are coming to an end. Sarah and Abraham. Sarah and Abraham have received promises. Check this out with me. Here is where the promise began. Listen to me. Or listen to the Bible, excuse me. In chapter 12, the Lord had said to Abraham, verse 1, get out of your country. Remember, they lived up in Babylon. Can you imagine living 800 miles from this coastal area that you've never been to or never seen? And God says, hey, uh, hey, Abram, I want you to move. Okay, Lord, uh, I got to learn something about you, who it is that's calling me. Well, the Lord says to Abram, I want you to leave your country, get out from your family. Didn't obey that perfectly. He took, right? We talked about that. To a land. Listen, put up your finger. To a land. That's the first thing. God promised Abram land. You with me? You're like, come on, I can read. But it's important because I will make you a great nation in that land and I'll bless you and make your name great and you're going to be a blessing. And I'll bless those who bless you. I'll curse him who curses you. Now watch. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And from 12 until Isaac is born, you get all these repeats from God to Abraham and Sarah. You're going to have a child. And they're, you know, you know the story. Sarah's like, Come on. I would have been like, come on. They don't, they, they, they scoff a little bit. Abraham laughs a little bit. Why? Because they're older. Humanly, it looks impossible. But God blesses them with a child. But I want you to see, number two, he promises them descendants. He goes on and says the descendants will be like stars in the sky, sand, uh, you know, grains of sand. They're going to be numerous. But also, number two, you're going to receive land. And when you keep going through this, look in chapter 13. In verse 14, he says, lift your eyes now, look from the place where you are, northward, southward, eastward, westward, for all the land which you see I give to you and your descendants forever, and I'll make your descendants as the dust of the earth. I'm going to give you land. Arise, look in 17, walk in the land, for I give it to you. And uh, you keep going. You get over to 17. Also, verse 8, I give to you and your descendants after you, the land to which you're a stranger, all the land of Canaan for a temporary time. It does not say that. It says as an everlasting possession, and I'll be their God. Okay? So there's a land promise. There's a people promise, a descendants promise, and a land promise. You're saying, get on with it. But you can't understand this chapter unless you know that. Because for the last several chapters, God has been fulfilling the family promise. You're going to have a son. Ha, 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 ha. No way. No, you're really going to have a son. Ha. Really, God... I'm sort of old. No, you're going to have a son, and uh, it's going to be a biological son, and then we see it come to fruition through Isaac. And then all of a sudden, here comes the land bridge in the Bible, or the bridge between the promise of the descendants and the promise of the land. And it starts with this, another person. We get to hear about Rebecca. I explained that. And then watch this. 23 is the movement to tell you about land. But before that, watch this. Sarah lived 127 years. 
At this time then, that means Abraham was 137 years old. He was 10 years older. Oh, where'd that come from? This is amazing. I had no idea that was even up there. Sarah lived 127 years, and these were the years of the life of Sarah. So Sarah died in Kirjath Arba, that is Hebron. Everybody say Hebron. We grew up in a town, and the next town over was Hebron. We called it Hebron. I didn't know I'd been pronouncing it wrong for a long time, but whatever. In the land of Canaan, and Abraham came to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. Everybody with me? Then Abraham stood up from before his dead, spoke to the sons of Heth, or Hittites, saying, I'm a foreigner and a visitor among you. Give me property for a burial place that I may bury my dead out of my sight. And the sons of Heth answered Abraham, saying to him, Hear us, uh, my Lord. Listen, mark it. You're a mighty prince among us. Mark that. I bet they can't do that. Anyway, (laughs) kidding. You're a mighty prince among us. Bury your dead in the choices of our burial places. None of us will withhold from you this burial place that you may bury your dead. Now look, if you're with me, I'm not dissuading you from looking here, but look in your Bible now. I want you to physically look if you have it. And I want you to see from now on to the end. Look at that. All the way from verse 4 to the end of this chapter, which I'm about to read to you. We're going to talk about a negotiation for land. Now, before I go on, isn't that sort of weird to you? Sarah's dead. There's a man that's grieving. Middle Eastern grieving was a little bit different than Western grieving. If you read the Bible, and I know you do, what did you do? You changed your clothes. You put on sackcloth. You poured ashes on places. Some people pulled their hair. There was weeping and wailing. In the New Testament, they actually hired... This isn't the New Testament, but I'm just telling you, the culture's different. In the New Testament, they actually hired professional mourners to come to the wedding or to the funerals. Wow. A lot different than us, although I'm not saying they grieved more than we do. Anybody here who's lost a loved one knows that ain't no fun. And yet, It's strange to me, but thank goodness I'm not the Holy Spirit or God. It's strange to me that this beautiful, kind, wonderful, quiet, by the way, peaceful, strong lady. How do I know that? Because Sarah is mentioned in the Old Testament as like the mother of all nations And then in 1 Peter 3, I'm going to read it to you here in a minute, it describes her and actually is like pointing to her, Peter's pointing to her as a beautiful, godly woman. We'll read it here in a minute. I'm shocked personally when I read this, when you get three verses for the grieving and the rest of the time, whatever that is, 15, 18, whatever it is, for a negotiation over a little ca- or a cave in a field. And that's what we have. So let's explore that. I read it to you. The sons of Heth in verse 5 answered Abraham saying to him, Hear us, my Lord, you're a mighty prince. Bury your dead in the choicest of our burial places. None of us will withhold from you this burial place that you may bury your dead. And then on to verse 7. Then Abraham stood up, bowed himself to the people of the land the sons of Heth. And he spoke with them saying, hey, if it's your wish that I bury my dead out of my sight, or if it is your wish that I bury my dead out of my sight, hear me and meet with Ephron, the son of Zohar for me, that he may give me the cave of Machpelah, which he has, which is at the end of the field. Let him give it to me at the full price as property for a burial among you. Now Ephron dwelt among the sons of Heth, and Ephraim the Hittite answered Abraham in the presence of the sons of Heth, all who entered at the gate of his city, saying, No, my lord, hear me. 
I give you the field and the cave that is in it. I know, this is a lot of reading. But I think there's a point to it. Hang in there. I give it to you in the presence of the sons of my people. I give it to you. Bury your dead. Then Abraham, verse 12, bowed himself down before the people of the land. And he spoke to Ephron in the hearing of the people. That's important. Saying, if you will give it, please hear me. I will give you the money for the field. Take it from me and I'll bury my dead there. And Ephron answered Abraham, saying to him, my Lord, listen to me. The land is worth 400 shekels of silver. What is that between you and me? So bury your dead. And Abraham listened to Ephron, and Abraham weighed out the silver for Ephron, which he had named in the hearing of the sons of Heth. 400 shekels of silver, currency of the merchants. So the field of Ephron, which was in Machpelah, which was before Mamre, the field, and the cave which was in it, and all the trees that were in the field, which were within all the surrounding borders. Listen, circle it. This gives a lawyer's heart joy. We leap with joy right here. Deeded. Who here has, uh, has a mortgage? Who here has paid off? Oh, don't tell me that. <laughs> but if you've paid off your mortgage, that deed comes to you, man, and that's your deed, right? Where's that deed? It's down in the uh, recorder's office. We don't call them recorders here. We do in Ohio. We call them prothonotary's office. But it's recorded down there so people, the public will know that that house on the corner with the beautiful white picket fence and the beautiful lawn, and the, that's theirs. And everybody will know. Well, they didn't have a recorder's office back then, and this is how they did it. And they're out in the public, and this thing is deeded to him. All uh, 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 were deeded to him, Abraham, verse 18, as a possession in the presence of the sons of Heth, before all, all who went in at the gate of the city. And after this, Abraham buried Sarah, his wife, in the cave of the field of Machpelah, before Mamre, that is Hebron, in the or Hebron, see, I did it, in the land of Canaan. So the field and the cave that is in it were deeded to Abraham by the sons of Heth as property for a bare place. Now watch, I'm just going to tell you, read the first verse of the next chapter with me. Now Abraham was old, well advanced in age. The Lord had blessed Abraham. So Abraham said to the oldest servant uh, of this house who ruled over, please put your hand under my thigh, etc." And what Abraham is doing, look down here in verse four, but you shall go to my country and to my family and take a wife for my son, Isaac, which means... Isaac, who's in his mid-thirties, his mom didn't get to see him be married. Get that? And so this is the bridge that leaps from one patriarch to another patriarch. And it represents a shift from God fulfilling the promises of descendants that continues But now, beginning the process of giving the land over to Abraham and his people. Everybody with me? Say, oh, okay, sermon over. You're all saying, great, but we're not over. I want to go back and listen to this and see this. Sarah lived 127 years. These were the years of the life of Sarah. So Sarah died in Kirjath Arba, that is Hebron. And the first thing I want to bring up is this. Hebron means fellowship or communion, folks. It's no accident that Abraham and his wife Sarah and Isaac, they, you, you know, they came into the land of Canaan when they were called some several years earlier as rich people and they never bought a house. They never established a house. They lived in tents. They moved around. And we talked about that. They didn't hold tightly to the things of this world. And at some points, they lived outside of the land that was the land of Canaan, the land of promise. But it's no accident, in my opinion, to see that at the end of life, here it comes first, that Sarah, as she passes away, is in communion with her family 
And most importantly, she's in communion with her Father in heaven, God himself. You say, oh, well, okay. You know, but the New Testament says there is no greater joy, New Testament, than to see your son or your child walking with the Lord. Amen? There's something about family and salvation that really touches our hearts. Correct? And when somebody dies in communion with God and their family, it makes all the difference in the world. Are you with me? We've got to talk about heavy subjects here today. You know this, the Puritan writers, man, the people of Christianity past, in the past ages, They were way better, if that's a way to say it, (laughs) at dying well. And one of the reasons is, is people died at home. Amen? People didn't die at the hospital, they died at home. And so people grew up as children, as teenagers. You're like, boy, this is a happy sermon. And they talked about it, and they experienced it, and they felt it. And as you move up through the annals of time, the Puritans would write about it and think about it. And I don't know about you, maybe it's just me, but in our culture, we don't want to ever think about it. Right? No, we don't want to think about it, including right there in the house of the Christians or the house of God. And yet... As we said earlier, if the Lord doesn't come back first, 100% of us are going to pass away physically. So it's a place to think about it. And one of the places, it's uh, within our family of the body of Christ to think about it and to talk about it and to see what it is to die well. And then also, listen, when somebody you love dies. How do we react? Well, the first clue here is Hebron for sure, or Hebron, sorry, I keep saying it. Uh, but the first clue is God didn't put this in here by accident. Sarah was in fellowship with the Lord. And that might be, listen, ooh, man, I'm going to tread carefully here. That might be one of the reasons why you really get three and a half verses about the death of Sarah and then all of these verses about the land promise. You're like, "Uh uh-oh, what's this dude talking about? Well, walk with me a little bit. Come with me over to Hebrews chapter 11. You can't understand these first three verses unless you know and I know Hebrews chapter 11. And you go over. (laughs) I'm going to switch up on you here. I'm going to have you put your finger in Hebrews chapter 11, but I'm going to have you also put another finger in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, okay? Do that with me. I'm going to read to you 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. First, and then we'll go over to Hebrews chapter 11. Listen to this. Paul's writing this to the uh, the church in Thessalonica. Paul says this, I don't want you to be ignorant. What does ignorant mean? Does it mean you can't comprehend or don't, you know, you're you're not able to? No, that's not. He, He doesn't want you to be unaware He wants to make sure as a good pastor, church planner, shepherd of the church, that his people that he's responsible for, that he serves and loves, knows and understands about death physically and eternal life. Amen? I don't want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep. That's the Bible's way of saying death. 
Lest, mark it, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. If you want ultimate hope, the thing, whatever hope is defined as, the thing that gets you up in the morning and keeps you going. Folks, you're never going to find hope in a relationship. Your relationship should be great and loving and wonderful, and it should keep you going in a sense of spurring you on in the Lord. You're never going to find hope in a hobby. I love hobbies. I do hobbies. But if you're hoping in the hobby or the relationship or your money or your vacations or how big your house is or how wonderful your car is or how you dress or how cool you are or how in, how many Instagram likes you get, if you're hoping in that stuff, here's I got news for you. When you get on the deathbed, you're going to know instantly that you wasted it all on that. Every single bit. Now, is there anything wrong with hobbies and having a car and a home? No, as long as they're not your idols. But there's no hope in them. There's only hope in one thing, and it's not a thing. It's a person. It's Jesus Christ. If you're wondering how we have hope, well, here's the thing. The worst thing that the enemy could ever throw at us, death, the worst. God, through Jesus Christ, defeated and overcame at the cross and resurrection. Amen? So that all who live in Christ have resurrection hope, which means when you die... You're not lost or going away. In fact, one Puritan writer says it this way. Death is the doorway of delight. For the Christian, listen. For the Christian, you talk about hope and settledness and peace. When we die, it's not the end. There's more and it's forevermore. Oh, now I thought that was amazing. There's more. You're not done. You understand? You're not done. You're going to be celebrating and singing and living. Not for 127 years or 137 years or 100 forever. And I'm convinced you don't have to be convinced about this. I'm convinced. God gives you the desires of your heart. I read that and, you know, some of us are like, oh, Lord, I desire a Porsche. I want to live in Hawaii. But I think the Lord, as you grow with him, takes your desires and molds them with his desires or melts them into his desires. Your desires become his desires. And some things he's planted in your heart. Like, for instance... Xander would probably be building stuff in heaven. Me? Uh Uh-uh. There ain't no way unless God does a miracle. I'll be hiking. I'll be like in charge of the, the hills and the mountains, letting people go up on the ski lift or something. I don't know. But, you know, we're going to be participating. I'm goofing around a little bit, but we're going to be participating in God's kingdom. And I believe that you're going to have a valuable role to play according to what God has planted in you for desires, with desires. Some people love music. I love music, but I can't do it. I can't play it. So that, I don't know. But he did something for you. Here's my point. You're going to be doing something forever. You're not going to be floating around like Casper the ghost. God's going to give you a resurrected, glorified body, and you're going to be participating You talk about hope, man. And so Paul writes to us or writes to the church and it's forwarded to us that I don't want you to be ignorant about this. I want you to know this. I want you to like on the test 
of what happens now and hope, I want you to get an A+. plus. That's what Paul's saying. Don't want you to be ignorant. I don't want you to fail. I want you to get it. And when you settle the death question in your life, you see. It's a big relief. There's joy. There's unbelievable freedom. Look with me one place. One other place. Hebrews 11. Go there. Is this any coincidence? No way. Look in verse 13. These all died in faith. Sarah's one of them. Look up in 11. By faith, Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed, and she bore a child when she was past the age uh, because she judged him faithful who had promised. And therefore, from one man in him as good as dead were born as many as the stars in the sky. You get that. Then it says in 13, these all died. It talks about Abraham up there too. These all died in faith, not having received the promises. And look, take in your Bible and go, and go Genesis 23. Genesis 23. They haven't received the fulfillment of the promise yet. God said, you're going to have all this land. They're going to die and they don't have all this land. God also said, you're going to have descendants that are a lot. They died and they had one kid so far. Amen? You with me? So they died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured. There was something that God did in their hearts. They were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed. Here's what they said. Here's what the people of faith say. Here's what Abraham and Sarah said. Here's what you and I are to say. We're just strangers here and pilgrims on the earth. We're just passing through. We're on the Mayflower of life. That's funny now. Pilgrims. Come on, that's funny. But we're just passing through. For those who say such things, listen, for, listen, didn't Abraham just say it in Genesis chapter 23 that he was a pilgrim? Listen, for those who say such things declare plainly, they're not hiding anything, that they seek a homeland. And truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they'd come out, they would have the opportunity to return. But now they desire a better. When you become a born-again, spirit-filled Christian, one of the things that God starts doing in your heart is giving you a call and a desire to be with him in heaven. You with me? That's what it says. That is a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. One more place I'm going to take you. Sorry, I can't resist. Remember when Jesus went away or was going away, he was getting ready right in the uh, upper room and he's giving the farewell discourse and he starts, uh, by the way, Livia pays attention. She sang it for us or led us in this today. He gives them his concluding farewell discourse and he starts this way. Let not your heart be troubled. Who here sometimes has a troubled heart? I'm putting my hands up. Jesus is saying to his followers then and to you now, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, including, listen, the question of death. Don't be troubled. Here's why. You believe in God, believe also in me. That shows the oneness and yet threeness. <laughs> One God in nature and essence. Yes, three eternally distinct persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Jesus says, hey, God and me. If you're believing in God, you're believing in me. But there's also a distinction. Get it? You believe in God, believe also in me. Listen, in my Father's house are many mansions or dwelling places. If it weren't so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am there, you may be also. And where I go, you know, and the way you know. It's settled forever for those who are in Christ. That's 
what the people who followed Christ in the early church knew. I don't know if God's ever calling you to burn at the stake, but, you know, these, there's these, uh, <laughs> it's a joke, but uh, there are the martyrs who did do that and would say things like, it's my privilege to go be with the Lord. We get upset if somebody in the next cubicle says you're a Jesus freak. They had it all settled out. And as you move through the ages, just like I said, the the Puritan writers, they spoke of it a lot. They prepared for it. They thought about it. They understood that heaven awaited to be with the Lord. See, that's what heaven is really. Is heaven a place? Yeah, I think so. But listen, what heaven really is in definition is where you and God are together. Oh, man, that's heaven. Just read the last chapter of the Bible. The whole story of the Bible, with God in the garden, sends his son Jesus to reconcile us back to the Father. End of the Bible, with God in the garden. (laughs) There it is. Drop the mic. Okay, so you go back, and you're like, okay, this sort of starts to make sense to me. It didn't make sense before to me, and I'm the pastor. But maybe it's starting to make sense, not that I'm any better or anything, but I'm like doing this stuff. Three verses? 15, 16, 17 verses? What's going on here? And then you hunt for the clues. Hebron, communion. His wife is in communion with God. Praise the Lord. But listen, it didn't stop him from grieving. You know, there's a sect of Christians that say, oh, well, you know, pat, pat, pat. Suck it up. What do you mean, suck it up? Jesus wept. He hurt for people. He knew and he knew and understood the resurrection and what was going to happen, but he wept. And here, this great man of faith, Abraham, who is God's working with him, he's doing some stuff. He's grieving. Sarah died in Hebron in the land of Canaan. You know why that's there? It's because they came from outside of Canaan. And now, look, when you bury somebody in a new land, what you're saying is, I'm never going back in the ancient times. This was important to them. It was the land. It was important to them. But here he comes, and he's in the Canaan, and Abraham came to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. So I'm not here to say, suck it up and don't weep. I think grieving is just natural and healthy for us when we lose Somebody, of course, we don't lose anybody when we know they're in Christ. When somebody goes to be with the Lord, we are to weep. Of course, we love them. We're going to miss them. We're going to be around 40 more years or 50 more years or 60 more years or maybe tomorrow. We don't know, but we're going to miss them. We grieve and all those things that come pouring in. That's healthy and good. Remember, It doesn't say it here, but he probably had ashes and sackcloth and pulled his hair and wailed. That's what they did. He went through all of that, right? So that's good. That's healthy to weep. But in in the back of his mind, in the forefront of his heart, he knows there's hope. Because you wouldn't call yourself a foreigner and a visitor, a stranger and a pilgrim, Hebrews tells us. Unless you had the heavenly hope. Amen? So he grieves. He goes through a period of grieving. It's right and honorable and uh, a cathartic and healing to grieve. But then, watch it. Abraham stood up from before his dead and spoke to the sons of Heth saying, Hey, I'm a foreigner and a visitor among you. Now, when you read that, The rest of your life, rest of your life, I want you to remember Hebrews 11, 13 and on. I want you to remember 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 and on. We have hope. Abraham's not forgetting about his Sarah. He's always going to remember her and enjoy The memories, until he goes home to be with the Lord, he's going to remember all the memories, all the walking together, all the talking together, uh, all the hard things that they did, moving out of their hometown, country, coming into a place they had no idea, living in tents, 
not in a home. She had to endure her husband pawning her off as a sister because he was afraid of two different kings. She had to live with the mistake that she made, not that the kid was a mistake, child wasn't a mistake, but she made a mistake in saying to her husband, oh, go take Hagar and have a baby with him, recognizing that she got ahead of the Lord. You with me? And she had to hear and see and think, well, he's promised me a son, but I haven't got that son yet. And all those sleepless nights and crying, you understand? I'm saying Sarah didn't just exactly sail through life. Now watch. Turn with me to 1 Peter 3. I just want, I've alluded to it, but I want you to see it. Look down in um, verse 3. I'm, well, anyway, verse three, do not let your adornment be merely outward. Nothing wrong with having outward beauty, just not excessive and counting on it. You understand? He says, take, you know, don't have just merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold or putting on fine apparel. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very uh, precious in the sight of God. For in this manner, in former times, the holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves, being uh, submissive to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. Doesn't mean he was his Lord. She was just very respectful, and he was very respectful back, and they loved each other. Whose daughters you are, if you uh, do good and are not afraid with any terror. The Bible is pointing to Sarah, all the ups and all the downs. She was a delight. The Lord was working in her heart. She was a powerful, strong woman who God worked in her heart like he needs to work in my heart or your heart or all of our hearts to live a life that was honoring to him. And there were ups and downs. But in the end, that was the trajectory of her life. You get it? And when you come back, Abraham enjoyed this so much. They loved each other deeply. And he grieved, and it was appropriate, and it was wonderful. But I got to show you something, and it's hard to say. Sometimes. Sometimes we focus so much on the pain that it's very difficult to move forward. One pastor says it like this. In How to Handle Grief, Abraham did not grieve as though grieving was inappropriate or only that grieving was the only thing left to do. You want me to say that again? Good. Abraham did not grieve as though grieving was inappropriate. It's not inappropriate to grieve. We cry. We hug. We love. We think of the memories. They come flooding in. It hurts. We tell people it hurts. Yes, we miss them. So... Abraham didn't grieve as though grieving was inappropriate. Some people say, suck it up. Are you not a person of faith? Well, we're humans. We love our families. So it's not inappropriate to grieve, or only that grieving was the only thing left to do. Maybe you're not catching what he's saying there. What he's saying is there's a balance. Some people... Grieve inappropriate, that's what he's saying, in that there's never any hope. Because hope does this. It allows you to move forward, hold on folks, while still remembering your loved one and being sad that you don't have them there, of course. But you know ultimately, way down in the deep recesses of your heart, you know deep down there, you it's a dead, drop, locked, promise 
that you're going to see them again if you're in Christ. And this life, the Bible says, is just a vapor. And by the way, folks, do you know that in Hebrews chapter 12, the one we just read, it says that we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. You know that. Do you think that your loved ones in heaven are looking down at you and going, you know, Tim, you didn't grieve long enough. I want you to suffer for about another year. See, I don't think they're doing that. You know what I think the witnesses in heaven are doing? They're cheering us on to finish well. They understand that you love them and you want to be with them and they get it and the Lord certainly gets it. But no one who's a great cloud of witnesses saying, I want you to suffer. They're saying, it's so great here. I can't wait till you make it. Isn't that amazing? What a thought. So you go back and you go, wow, she's in Hebron. She's in communion. She's in the land of Canaan. She left, uh, she uh, died in the land of promise. Then Abraham stood up from before his dead and spoke to the sons of Heth and said, I'm a foreigner and a visitor, which you know from a Hebrews 11 means he was full of hope and still grieving. Amazing. And so he could go on and he says, Oh, okay. Well, now the Lord has promised that we're going to get the land. So he says, I'm a foreigner and a visitor. That speaks volumes to us. Give me property for a burial among you that I may bury my dead out of my sight. Uh, You know that. By the way, Moses spoke in Leviticus 25 about being a foreigner. David speaks in the Psalms about being a foreigner. And the, the one warning that we see in the Old Testament and the New Testament is, If you're holding and gripping this world tightly, you're going to have a problem at the end. You're going to be clutching stuff. The Bible says, live freely, let it go now, because you're moving on. You're a pilgrim. So give me property for a burial place among you that I may bury my dead out of my sight. There it is. Look. He says, I want you to bury my wife, who I love, and I'm still grieving for. I love her very much, and I have hope. And so I want you to bury her out of sight. We're not going to put her in the sepulchers or the tombs that you can see with the great stuff on there. That's all fine and well. No one's criticizing it. But for Abram, he had a hope. Here in a few years, he's just going to be with her. So he was, look, he was moving on. When you say, well, that seems harsh and callous, I don't think so. He wasn't stuck on the pain. Someone sent me uh, this verse to, uh, today, and I want you to remember this. In Colossians chapter 1, it says that Jesus holds everything together. That means he's holding you together. And so as you're moving on, you're not forgetting about your loved one. If your loved one's in heaven, they're rooting you on. You're not forgetting. You're still grieving, but you're moving. You You can get... On and keep going with the promises that God's made until you go to be with him and your loved one. Everybody with me? He buried her out of sight, or at least was negotiating to bury her out of sight. And the sons of Heth said, well, wait a minute. You're a mighty prince among us. Now that's fascinating to me. Boy, I'm going to ruffle feathers here, man. Hold on now. Lot was a politician in the city gates. You can go back and... Genesis 19.9, when he did stuff, the people said, who are you to judge us? Look it up. Abraham lived a godly life, lived out his life, took care of his family, obeyed God, and when he got around the pagans, they go, whoa, there's something about you that's different. You're a mighty prince. So hear us, you're a mighty prince, bury your dead in the choicest of our burial places. Now you have to know, in Eastern negotiations, 
Eastern negotiations is way different than, or excuse me, Western negotiations is way different than Eastern negotiations. Western negotiation depends on words. I'm a lawyer. You have boilerplate. You go by what the words say. And words only. When you're negotiating in the East, there's all kinds of context clues. And your words sort of mean what you say, but there's also other things that are going on. And here... It's going on. We'll give you the best places. And Abraham stood up, bowed to the people and the sons of Heth. And he spoke with them saying, hey, if this is your wish, bury my dead out of my sight. Let, let me get with Ephron. Remember, we read about that. I, we just want a cave. And look down at verse 10. And Ephron dwelt among the sons. Ephron answered Abraham in the presence of the sons of Heth. Why did he do that? Because they're trying to come to a transaction like we would. Sale contract for the purchase of your home. What do you have to have a lot of these things and on deeds? Witnesses. They didn't really do that. Here they're trying to gather some witnesses. No, my Lord, hear me. Listen, listen to what uh, Ephron's saying. Ah, I give you the field and the cave. I'm going to give you more than you even asked for. Ephron's probably trying to make some more money, like all of us would do in negotiations, in a good way. I mean, you're an adult. You know how to negotiate, right? So I give you the field, etc. Then Abraham bowed himself down both over the people land. He spoke to Ephron in the hearing of the people saying, if you'll give it, please hear me. I'll give you money for the field. Take it from me and I'll bury my dead there. And Ephraim answered Abraham saying to him, my Lord, listen to me. Now look, most people believe this is the way that you would barter in the East. By the way, well, anyway. I'll sell it to you for this amount, 400. But he's really expecting a back and forth till they land on a number that they can both agree on. Everybody with me? And so that's the way they would do it there. But, you know, listen to me. The land is worth 400 shekels. But what's that between you and me? So bury your dead. In other words, I'm going to give this to you. Well, nobody's going to give it. That's just the way they do it. And... Look at this. Abraham was culturally sensitive. Nobody's talking about being politically correct. That's not what I'm saying. But when you go and do missions with people, there's context clues. There's cultural sensitivity. And uh, Abraham has it here. What is that between you and me? So very dead. And Abraham listened to him. And then he weighed out the silver, which he had named in the hearing of the sons of heaven. Heth. And look, he gave 400 shekels of silver. He didn't barter with him. I think for a number of reasons. Here's one. He was paying for his bride. The ultimate for his bride. Oh, oh. who is the bride? We are the bride of Christ. Jesus paid the ultimate. I think another thing is, a lot of times in the Old Testament, David did this too. They would pay for something at top dollar so the person who they were paying would want or could not expect any strings attached with me? So if he paid him 200, maybe Ephron would have said, well, you only pay me 200. I still can come on the land or whatever. Get it? So he pays 400 and he's got integrity and he does it. And the field of Ephron, which was in Machpelah, which was before Mamre, look, he got the field in the cave, which was in it. And all the trees were deeded to Abraham, were deeded to Abraham. This is how they did it. You go and sign some papers and go record it at the prothonotary. They did it in the public gate area. Uh, before all who went in the gate. And after this, Abraham buried Sarah, his wife, in the field of Machpelah before Mamre in communion, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. So the field and the cave that is in it were deeded to Abraham by the sons of Heth as property for a burial place. Now look, the big lesson from all of this is this. Abraham and Sarah went to the mat, gave up their life, for the promise of God. If they didn't, listen, she would have been buried back in her home country. You with me? They gave up everything to follow the Lord. And that's what the Lord calls you and me to do when he says, I want you to take up your cross and follow me. Amen? Okay, watch. Oh, geez, one more point. There's no football till three, so... 
Look at this, and I'll, I, I promise I'll be done. Do you know this? Why in the world do you think <laughs> that God waits for 23 chapters? Folks, there's been a lot of heartache in chapters 1 through 22. Murder of a brother. Wars. Selling people, you know, conning people as they move into their territory, giving up your wives. Uh, concubines. Illiter- uh, um, uh, you know, sex outside of marriage. Lots of things. There's been a lot of heartache. And not until chapter 23... Does it say anybody cried for somebody else? Here it is the first time. Abraham came to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. He loved his bride. It's the principle of first mention. This is the first place where tears are mentioned. It's for a husband for her, his bride. He loved her bride. Jesus loves you like that. Oh, my. And as you stop and think, what are we doing here today? I want you to know this. Some people here might be sitting here and don't have that hope. And remember, at the beginning of this, I said there were two options waiting for all of us, each one of us. One's heaven, one's hell. The hope of heaven frees up everything. The terror of hell makes us anxious and bitter and scared. And so I'd invite you, as I pray right now, I'd invite you, to ask the Lord into your heart. If you've never done that, if you don't have the hope of heaven, if somebody said to you, are you going to heaven? And you went like this. I don't know. I'm better than some. You're missing the point of the gospel. The gospel says what's important is that it's Christ in you. Listen, the hope of glory. If you have Christ in you, you have the hope of glory. So maybe that's somebody here, and I want to pray with you tonight or today. So let's do this. Let's bow our heads. Lord, we thank you for this morning, and we thank you that um, we do have the hope of heaven and that we should and appropriately grieve for those we love, of course. And yet we can move forward in you with that hope. It's not easy sometimes. It's, not, it's difficult. But, Lord, with you, we hope. Lord, thank you for this chapter, which on first glance looks like a run-through, and yet there's gold there. Help us to remember these things and live by, by your resource and strength. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.